0: We are preparing to ordain Chris Stringfellow into the deacon ministry. And um, so we're going to look at the qualifications, uh, the calling of the deacon today out of 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to begin in 1 Timothy 3 and verse 8. As you're turning there, you know, in my uh, elementary and junior high years, I had a a good friend, his name was David Chauncey, and uh, David was the pastor's son at the church where I attended, and we hung out all the time. I was a year older than David. Uh, We rode bikes together, we would shoot baskets together, we would do chores together, and during the summer, basically, we would spend hours hanging out. He lived in the parsonage right across from the church, and I lived not much further Uh, from uh, the church that he lived and so we would congregate often at the church and sometimes not often we would get in trouble but I remember one day we distinctively were in trouble we were riding our bikes around the church building and we noticed this rat was sitting right at the base of the building of the church and it was not moving in fact it looked sickly and so we decided that we were personally going to be its exterminator and uh... To, i guess i was probably sixth grade and he was fifth grade so we looked for the first thing we could get to destroy this rat and i'm not talking about a mouse it was a rat we picked up a broken piece of asphalt and we began to throw it and we were not too accurate and about the third or fourth throw between the two of us i happened to be the culprit i threw uh, the asphalt, had bounced, the broken piece, it bounced off the main asphalt and broke a window, and we immediately panicked. Uh, I, uh, I knew I would be caught, so I just went on and confessed it to my mom. It took me about one or two minutes to get to the house. I said, Mom, we were throwing stuff to try to kill a rat and broke a window, and immediately, if you've ever seen my home church in the middle of Appomattox, beautiful stained glass windows, that's the first thing that went through my mom's mind. She panicked. She went down there and was glad to find out it was just a $5 pane that needed to be fixed. But, you know, um, I was a deacon's son who grew up near the church. I shared this before. I actually grew up closer to the church I attended growing up than I am to this church now where I live. In fact, I was thinking as I was preparing this morning, the only time I've not lived a literal stone's throw from church was when I was studying to go into ministry. That sounds strange, doesn't it? But having been in the ministry for 30 plus years, Chris, I was the son of a deacon for 50 years. My dad passed when i was 50 years old and uh, and he was a great example i have been with my dad visiting in very very hot places that had wood stoves and we're carrying food and benevolence i've been with my dad in state prisons and watched him teach the word of god Uh, i have Uh, not been with him but times when at night he gets a call from somebody who got released from jail or prison and 1130 at night and needed somebody to come pick them up I being the son of a deacon I was in church Sunday morning Sunday night Wednesday night uh, every time I'm even when I was in school playing ball ball got over and I rushed I was at church And that was a priority, and I'm very thankful uh, for my dad. But, you know, as I thought about that, deacons have played a significant role in my life. As a child, there were deacons who were serving. As a youth, there were deacons who were counseling me. As a pastor, there are deacons, and you'll hear, who come alongside me in the ministry. I've been blessed in my home, in my home church, in this church, as I've seen model selflessly the service of deacons. So I want to look today at 1 Timothy chapter 3, if you'll look with me. 1 Timothy chapter 3, and I want to begin in verse 8. It says, deacons likewise should be worthy of respect, not hypocritical, not drinking a lot of wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. They must also be tested first. If they prove blameless, then they can serve as deacons. Wives too must be worthy of respect, not slanderers, self-controlled, faithful in everything. Deacons are to be the husbands of one wife, managing their children and their own households competently. For those who have served well as deacons acquire a good standing for themselves and great boldness in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we come into your house today, we thank you um, for the call of Chris Stringfellow. And Lord, as we um, challenge, in our challenge from your word today, as he is challenged, Lord, as we support him and his wife in this calling, we, we thank you, Lord that you have called us into service and we humbly give you the thanks for all the opportunities to serve that you give to us lord speak through your word lord encourage your servant today and we pray it in jesus name amen Paul is writing here in 1 Timothy chapter 3 to a younger minister, Timothy. Timothy at Ephesus was given charge over the church there. There was various instructions for various groups in the church. But very specifically, Paul speaks in chapter 3 about leadership and the importance of specific leadership in the church. And he lists two offices uh, here in chapter 3, the office of overseer and that of deacon. And were we to have taken the time of the first seven verses, we would see that the qualifications of the overseer and the deacon are very similar. And that tells us that leadership is critical. It's not one level of leadership and another. There are distinctions, though. Uh, One distinction is the overseer is to be apt or able to teach. That's not required of the deacon. However, in my experience here in this church and elsewhere, deacons, many deacons have been very great teachers of the Word of God. And so we're going to look today, really, uh, Chris, at the qualifications for the deacon. And today is a unique day in the church in that this will be a message that I'm preaching primarily to Chris. I'll be looking at him from time to time. But as is the case any time we open God's word, uh, all of us can glean things and important truths from God's word. So today, very simply, I want to look at. First, the calling of the deacon, and then secondly, Chris, the qualifications expected of the deacon. Well, first this morning, and if you have your outline, you'll see it, the deacon's calling. You know, it's very evident as you read through these few verses that Paul gives little attention to specifically what the deacon is to do, but he focuses primarily on who the deacon is to be. Uh, But we're not left uninformed about the deacon's calling. In other words, even though he doesn't specifically list tasks in these few verses that I just read, we can understand something about the ministry of the deacon in general. And we understand also that there are various aspects of deacon service. There are various, even within uh, a a group of deacons in the church. Some people may have a strength in this area, some in another, and God will use each uh, accordingly. But specifically, as we look at the overall calling of the deacon, I think there are two things that can really help us understand uh, what is expected of a deacon and the first, we go to the meaning of the word deacon. What does the word mean? The The verb form of deacon is diakoneo, and it carries the idea actually of waiting on tables. In fact, yeah, we're going to refer to Acts chapter 6 in just a moment, and And we're going to see that term waiting on tables, at least in my translation used, but it speaks to a selfless service. And the picture is somebody who is busy waiting on tables. Now, I I love a meeting around food. You know that. You can tell that, all right? And uh, I don't mind food. I, I often hesitate to push away from it. I'm going to work on that. But... If you've ever been in a restaurant, the goal of the waitress or the waiter is to not be the focus of the attention. It's not that you are diverting your attention and you're talking to the waitress. Now, sometimes we do that to be kind, but the waitress is not programmed or trained that way. The waitress or the waiter is to serve so that the experience of those eating is a good experience. And so as... As Paul is talking about this specific calling, that idea is service, humble service, to make others' experience in life better. In fact, uh, the word diakoneo, uh is a compound word. It's the word dia, which means through, and kanis, which means dust. And so you figure, or you can put that in your mind, moving through the dust swiftly. It speaks to an active service. So, Chris, as a deacon, you're not just to serve in the church, you're to serve the church. It doesn't speak to some authoritative position or a position of power or superiority, but to humble service. You know, there's another word used for servant in the Bible, and I was had my attention drawn to it a number of years ago. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 1, and Paul is really talking about himself as an apostle in his attitude as a servant. And it really, while it's a different word from this uh, verb, diakoneo, it carries really uh, the same idea. And, and, and years ago, I, a few years ago, I was reading what the Bible says to the minister, and, and in 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 1, it uses this word, huperetas, which is a servant, the noun form of that. And the picture is that, Chris, of an under rower, one in the belly of the ship, not seen, who is doing the work inconspicuously. It's heavy work moving heavy oars. And the author of that particular book brought out not only is such service not seen, but you're just one of many under rowers. And so as I I read about that word for servant, the idea comes to me of selfless service, that the deacon is called to selflessly serve the church, just as that under rower is not seen, but doing heavy work so that what is seen is accomplished, so is the work of the deacon in the church. So we see in the word meaning itself, in a similar word, this concept of the responsibility of the deacon is to selflessly serve. But but secondly, we also learn from a historical act. And while certainly not in the formal context of church leadership, there is an an event early in the apostles' ministry. I believe that serves as a as an example or a model for the contemporary deacon. In Acts chapter six, there was a problem. The apostles had there were too many widows in order for the apostles to meet the needs and um the the greek uh individuals were coming and they were complaining that the hebraic jews were receiving more care than than their widows were receiving more care than the greek widows and it was a problem And it was a problem that the apostles themselves couldn't fix because they were thinking, do we stop the ministry of preaching and praying and we go meet the needs of these individuals? Or do we continue the work of preaching, proclaiming, praying, and these widows continue to be underserved? But there was an answer beyond those two. And it says that they appointed seven godly men to share the burden of the ministry. And it it was said, one thing that they said, literally, should we stop this ministry that we're doing of proclaiming and praying to wait on tables, in other words, to do this service. They weren't degrading the service. They were speaking factually. But God raised up individuals to share the burden of the ministry. Chris, for you, that's what you are called to do as a deacon, share the burden of the ministry. Share the blessings of the ministry with the senior pastor and others as an underroar among other underroars who are serving that that God's church may move forward to his glory. You can't do everything. God doesn't expect it. But as a servant's heart, uh, with a servant's heart, allow God's spirit to lead you. Chris, one thing that all of us have witnessed is your unique gift with children. It's not that you put that on the shelf now as you're serving a deacon. No, as a deacon, you serve the children. That's your calling. You've got a gift. We learned that very quickly when you arrived. When I worked with the children, they were all over the place. When you started working with the children, there was structure and there was order. But as you do that, share the gospel, set a godly example, vest in the children as a deacon here. So as we look at the meaning As we look at this historical example before the church was established, Chris, we see that you're to serve the church humbly so that others will be built up and God's kingdom would grow. Well, let's look very quickly, too, at the qualifications expected of the deacon. And we see very much specifically written here in verses 8 through 13. And so again, as I shared just a moment ago, as we look at what the calling of the deacon is and now what the qualifications of the deacons are, as we consider those qualifications, it's important to know for Paul at least, and he was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in writing, who you are as a minister is more important than what you do. And I can attest in the ministry as a pastor, that's one of the difficult things in ministry is understanding that being is more important than doing. You're to serve with pure motives, with true Christian integrity, and every Christian's goal should be to be Christ like. And so I, I want to basically, as we look at these qualifications here in verses 8 through 13, to divide them into two parts what is not to characterize the deacon, and then what is to characterize the deacon. Notice what it says in verse 8. You're not, to be first, hypocritical. That word literally is double-tongued. Your walk should be consistent with your talk. It's not that you say one thing and do another. You're to be honest. You're to be who you are. I've been recently reading um, Dr. Adrian Rogers' book on the book of Revelation. It talks about unveiling the end times. And in that particular book, uh, Dr. Rogers, who's gone on to be with the Lord, talks about the deception of antichrist and the deception of satan and he mentions non-holy trinity and how satan always tries to deceive and to portray himself as the substitute for god we see it in the antichrist taking the place of the christ we see in the false prophet trying to take the place of the holy spirit we see it in the dragon that is symbolically representing satan and so we see that unholy trinity that he has and we think back to all of the times even back in the times of the magicians we've talked about how they tried to simulate or emulate what the true power of god was doing and we're living in the day today when there are people that are saying one thing and doing another. There are people who are deceiving. There are people who are trying to trick. And what the world needs from deacons and from pastors and from church members is to see what genuine Christianity is. You're not to be hypocritical. But not only that, the scripture says also in verse 8 that you are not to be given to much wine. You're not to be one who excessively drinks alcohol. Not to the point where it affects and impairs your judgment my maternal grandfather was a great example to me he was sunday school director in his church as a young man he had struggled with alcohol in fact all of his life he 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 even a person who struggles with alcohol and the power of god you can give it up but he couldn't even take one drink or he'd be drawn back in well he he had given up alcohol he began he worked construction He built the house i lived in and Some of his co-workers were drinking, and guess what? He went back to drinking again. Here he is, Sunday school director of the church. The pastor of the church went and said, Randall, you can't serve as Sunday school director anymore because the Bible specifically expects more of leadership. My grandfather was upset for a moment, thought about it a day, said the preacher was right, relinquished his position, gave up alcohol, And the grandfather that I knew served as a deacon of the church. And so God's spirit is to control you, not a lot of wine. That's what the scripture says. And along with that, we understand that the deacon is to be sober-minded, steady, not too emotional, not allowing um, a lack of self-control to dictate conduct and decisions. But then there's a third thing the deacon is not to be. He is not to be greedy for money. Last week, Chris, we looked at the subject of money. Inherently, money is morally neutral. You can have $100 and do very good with it. You can have $100 and do very bad with it. We can be good stewards of our money. We can be poor stewards of our money. But the scripture says here, you're not to be influenced by money in his servant service. You're to be influenced by the Lord. You're not to show show favor to certain people because they have a lot thinking you can personally gain. You're not to show favor in leadership toward the affluent because you want to gain their approval. Remember, Jesus said you cannot serve God and mammon. And so we're to be led not by money by the lord let's look real quickly too at what is to characterize the deacon he is to be worthy of respect some translations would say grave not too high not too low the type of person that someone could not point the finger and say that's a sorry individual it's not that you're going to be perfect not one of us is perfect but your character your integrity should have you as a person worthy of respect. It also says that the deacon is to give evidence in a positive way of maturity in the faith. You're to be mature in the faith. I once knew of a church in this area that, that had an elder, and this young girl was like 17 years old. I'm, I'm thinking she was appointed an elder in the church when she was 17, and one of my friends jokingly said, that's not an elder, that's a younger But the point is this, a deacon must be tested and found fit, not new to the faith. Doctrinally, the scripture tells us that he is to, verse 9, hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Holding the mystery, that is the mystery of the gospel, the gospel of our faith with a clear conscience. It would be shameful for a church to appoint one in such an office who does not understand that God created the heavens and the earth, that man is sinful, that Jesus died on the cross to to pay the price of our sins, that he was raised and he was coming again among other essential truths. It's not that we have to give a dissertation if we're going to serve in this capacity, but we must understand the essential truths of the faith. But not only that, our creed should be marked by good conduct. Tested first, it says in verse 10, and if they prove blameless, again, not perfect, but without anyone being able to point the finger, then they can serve as deacons. And so we're to, be, we're, we're to expect our deacons to possess maturity in the faith. Also, he must lead his family well. His wife must possess admirable characteristics verse 11 wives too must be that same word worthy of respect not slanderers, self-controlled and faithful in everything in just a few moments as we lay hands on you i'm going to move that chair forward just a few feet and we'll have you sit in the chair. Alethea will be behind you with her hands on you, and we will come pray for you. That symbolically represents the importance of Alethea standing with you behind you in your ministry. It's so important the wife Alethea come alongside the husband, but also husband must be faithful to his wife. That's what the scripture says. That 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 the deacons are to be the husbands. Of one wife, not a philanderer. His love for his wife should match the love that that Jesus has for the church. You to be faithful to your wife. And also, he said, managing their children and their households competently. Not having them throw rocks through church windows. That was a mishap. But seriously... Your children may make mistakes, but what it speaks there is leading them, set the godly example, praying for your children, setting the path, making it easier for them to follow the Lord, managing his children well. And then very simply put in verse 13, just serve well. That's the meaning of the word. That's the example we see in Acts 6. These are the descriptions that are listed. Verse 13 says, For those who have served well as deacons acquire a good standing for themselves and great boldness in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. You know, Chris, I came across a verse recently that speaks to this occasion, speaks to me and to you. It says, Each one of us is to please his neighbor for his neighbor's good to build him up, for even Christ did not please himself. It doesn't mean pleasing others to win their favor or to make them think, but pleasing others for that one's good to build up. That's the ministry of the deacon. It's a good guide for your ministry. You know, I've been blessed as pastor to have so many deacons who have served so well alongside. Just this week, there was a practical need. I had to call a deacon. He and his wife took care of that, and, and what a blessing that is. But I've, we've had individuals who have gone before me And without calling names, because God gets the glory in all of that, I can remember one time when I was going through a tough transition the first year of our ministry, we had a self-proclaimed prophet in the church. I was about 24 years old. Every every Sunday, I was getting up, and I was saying, what's going to happen? This deacon, this was over 30 years ago, knew I was going through a tough time, and uh, he came by my house, brought me a mug, and... This one of the, he'd break your hand when he'd shake your hand leaving the church. But you know what? He had my back. He had my back. And I still remember that. I, re, I remember um, one gentleman, a deacon in our church. I was called to a home. There was a recent death. I was ministering to the family. And he showed up. And he did a very humble service. I won't call what that is. I won't call his name. But it was a very humble service, and I can still remember looking across the room and him doing that while I was doing the one talking. And, you know, to me, that's the ministry of the deacon. God be glorified in it. So serve well. Serve Christ. Serve his church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this day for the calling of the deacon ministry. And uh, Father, as this church uh, last week and as the deacons before that see evidence, Lord, of your call of service on his heart, we thank you, Lord, that we can participate in this time of dedicating him to your service. Lord, mindful that every one of us, regardless of our position, is called to be an under-roar, faithfully serving in the belly of the ship, among other under rowers, that, Lord, your kingdom might advance, that people might be served. So, Father, for Chris and Aletheia, I lift them to you, and, Lord, as these who are ordained representing this church, come in just a few moments, place their hands on them. It is our prayer, God, that we come alongside them, that, God, you continue to use them in service for your glory. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Our uh, hymn of invitation before...